All right. We're in a series, Choose Joy. Uh, you know, and I, what is that? that? That puts the weight back on us. So if you don't have joy, then you're not choosing joy. That wasn't complicated. Let's ask that a question again. So if you don't have joy, it's because you're not choosing joy. It's a choice. It's, it's in, in attitudes come from choices. We think it's the other way around. I know bad attitudes can lead to more bad choices, but Paul in this, this book of Philippians that we're in, is, is, it's, a, it's a book of joy, but not superficial. It's not joy, everything's going to go good. It's not joy. I taught our children when they grew up, the F-bomb and the Stilson home wasn't what you would normally think of, not that they could say that either. Uh, that's still not allowed uh, in the Stilson home. Grandkids slip, sometimes their mothers slip, and Grandpa says, not here. So it's good to have certain words that are off limits in your home. That's a healthy thing. Obviously, anything that says about God in a negative way or Jesus shouldn't be allowed in your home. So anyway, our F-bomb in our home was it's not fair, fair. And I would tell them, you better get used to it because life isn't fair. And it's going to come at you in very unfair ways. And how you respond to that unfairness will determine whether you have joy or not, whether you're a victim or not, whether you overcome or not. So choose joy. So last week we talked about the beginnings of this church. It's amazing beginnings. Uh, if you didn't listen last week, uh, Paul in the book of Acts goes to the city, Philippi, finds this businesswoman that was a God-fearer but didn't know Jesus. You can be a good person and not know Jesus. You can be a religious person and not know Jesus. And so she heard the good news of Christ and his crucifixion for her, his death on a cross for her. And she welcomed Jesus in a living way into her life. Then there was a slave girl that was demonized and, and bound up and, and deceived. And, and, and Jesus set her free with his authority and power. And she gave her life to Christ. And then there was the, the Roman soldier, the jailer, rough, tough, burly, mean soldier that that God tenderized him and captured his heart, brought him into the kingdom, and he wept and, and got baptized with his whole family. And that was the beginnings of this church. Now, fast forward the tape 10 years later. Paul's writing to them. He's concerned about them. There's some issues. He, they've sent him a gift. They've sent financial aid to him as he's in prison. And, and so he's writing back to them. And, and we stopped on this verse last week because it's like one of the classic verses in the whole book of Philippians. And I didn't want to just skirt over it quickly. So I want to kind of read up to it. Uh, in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 3 is Paul's prayer. Now it doesn't tell us and, and uh, verses 3 through uh, 7, it doesn't really tell us what he's praying for. That's verses 8 and 9, that he's praying for them to grow in their love. And it's something that we'll always grow in is our need to love. And it's not just, let's all love everything. No, there's some things you shouldn't love. You don't love evil. Uh, there's things that are out of bounds of love. And so he prays for that, that they would love with discernment, love with wisdom, not just love in this, you know, anything goes category. Uh, but before he gets to that, he's going to celebrate joy with these people that he loves that he's praying for. So verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. Now here's the reason. He says because you've 
have a partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So that's a 10-year history that they've experienced the good news of Jesus. They've been changed by the good news of Jesus, and they're partnering with Paul in carrying out the good news of Jesus. So 10 years are encapsulated in the, from the first day until now. Now, Paul says this in verse 6, classic verse in this book. He says, I'm confident of this. Now, let me just pause for a second. And, and the, the older I get, the less confident I am in pretty much everything. Not everything, but pretty much everything. In my younger years, I was pretty confident in pretty much everything. If you'd have met me as a pastor in my 20s, I knew pretty much all there was to know about anything and was confident in it. And so, uh, and, and, and the older I've gotten and the more uh, life has tenderized me and heartaches and, and bad choices and, and pay, you, know, you, you start realizing there's not a lot I'm certain about, certainly not about myself. There's not a lot I'm certain about that I know. I, 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 I hold it loosely, but there are some things that have become rock solid certain to me as I've gotten older in Christ. And Paul's that way. Paul's like, he's not, I'm not certain about everything, but there, this, I'm going to be, this is where his joy comes from. How can Paul have joy 10 years later and these people that there's, there's weaknesses and failures in this church. There's some strife going on. He's going to address in this letter. There's some people that, that have been teaching wrong things. And, and so where's the joy come from, Paul? He says this, I'm confident of this, that he, that would be God, who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He has begun a good work. Now, some of you are in our small group series, and we're learning about how to tell your story, how to, how to be a witness for Christ. And, and anybody here, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have a story to tell. Now, you'll remember in that teaching, we had a, a little blank on the page in our booklets, and it was write a few words that describe your life before Jesus. Then write a few words that describe how you came to Jesus. And then third category is write some words that describe your life after Jesus. Jesus. So three parts to our story. That's where any references that God's began a good work in them. This is speaking of they believe the good news. So some of you that were in that class, what were, give me one word that you used to describe yourself before Christ. Let me see hands. I want you to specifically, if you went through that in a small group, uh, what did you, what was a one word that you used to describe your life before Jesus? Let me see. Come on. Don't be. Yes. But blind, okay? Someone else. Yes, sir. Lost. Lost. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. What's the word? Did, okay. Someone else. What is, what's, what's the word that would describe? Vicky. Hiding. Say it again. Disastrous. disastrous. It's not even a word, but it's disastrous. That's only a firefighter could describe something as disastrous. It's like at the end of a fire and everything's burned to the ground. That's disastrous. Yeah, yeah. So everybody can have different, but there's something about our life. Even if you're younger and came to Christ at a young age, at some point you come to the realization you can't save yourself. At some point you come to the realization that you need saving. 
At some point, you come to that place where, God, I can't fix me. I can't change me. And so, you know, so when you're telling your story, there has to be some, it doesn't mean you rob banks and you were a, a, a serial killer. And, and, you know, that's not the point. The point is we're all in need of a savior. So it could be emptiness. It could be uh, someone in the last service used the word chaotic, chaotic. Their life was chaos. It was confusion. It was, and so there's that feeling so when Paul says he's referencing joy, because he says, think back to what you were. Now, Lydia, you were a good woman, a businesswoman, a successful woman, a religious woman, but you didn't know the good news of Jesus. When Paul preached the gospel, he says this in Galatians 3, that he presents it in such a way that it's though you're standing before the cross of Jesus, watching him die on the cross and hearing him say, I love you, this is for you. Now, that's not about being eloquent. That's not like, I don't know if you've ever heard people describe the cross and the death of Jesus in medical terms, and, and it can be very gripping, but at the same time, it's not about being able to, with words, describe it in some horror. It's the truth of Jesus comes through the good news in such a living way. It's like though I was standing, when I came to Jesus, it, 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 I was standing before that cross and, 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 and looking up saying, really, you love me? You're not mad at me. You did that for me? When I saw the gospel, I wasn't there. It was several thousand years ago. But it became, that's the power of the good news. It's not about some historic thing that happened. It's present reality when the good news is taught or preached or you read about it in the scriptures. When I read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's the gospel. It put me before the cross. And I'm just, I couldn't believe he could forgive me. I couldn't believe that the, the evil, the selfishness, the meanness of the things that I'd done, that he Love me enough and forgive me. So there's that part of our story that is what we were. So when you think of a new beginning, it speaks of an ending. Again, we'll talk about it in a minute. It's not perfection that we have arrived when we come to Jesus. But, but so there's that. If you don't have those words yet that can describe some point of need, then you're not going to appreciate his sacrifice on the cross because there's not a need to be forgiven. There's not a need for a savior. And then there's that place of how did you come to Jesus? And for me, it was reading the scriptures out of desperation, just bought a Bible. I started reading it and it started speaking to me, gripping me. And, and it was, it was opening my eyes. And then since Christ, there's been a, a, a sense of peace and purpose and, and, assurance of love, not perfection. And we'll talk about that. So there's three parts to your story. And I can tell my story in 60 seconds. You should be able to tell yours. Even if you grew up, I grew up in a Christian home and, and I always kind of believed in God, but I never came to that point of surrender until this in my life. And then I made a surrender in my life to Christ. And since then, God has done this, this, and this. You, you have a story to tell. Now, Paul says, I have joy. How do you have such confidence, Paul? Because go back to verse 6. He says, my confidence is that he who has begun a good work, God. Now, he, what he's referencing to, he's kind of winking at us and saying, I want you to think about Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. On day one, day two, day three. After each day, God says, and it was good. It was good. After day six, he makes man and woman in his image. God says, it's really good. Very good. Genesis 1.31. It's very good. Now, God can say that without being prideful because it's completely true. It's ama- God makes amazing, fascinating, incredible stuff. Now, understand this earth has been affected by evil and sin, but it's still an amazing, beautiful, majestic place. I mean, I, I, I was able to sit by a lakeside uh, this past week and, and, and just a spot I've sat at before up in Mount Dora uh, on, on Lake Dora. And I got to watch this storm go by and the wind blew and, and it was everybody else fled, you know. But when you're a Florida boy, you know when it's coming at you and when it's going by you. And so it doesn't mean you couldn't have got hit by lightning. That isn't my point. It didn't say I was smart. I just knew I'm not going to get that wet. And so I just sat there, and they all fled, and it gave me time alone with God. And, and it was just this amazing majesty, the sun setting and the winds whipping. And it's just a, it's just, it's a good, it's, I love creation because creation has been described as God's second Bible. When you look at the stars, we happened to get back from this very difficult meeting, and we got to our motel at 12, 15 at night, and there's a lady standing out in the dark outside the room where we're going to go in. It's a little creepy, but... But she says, did you see it? Did you see it? I'm like, well, it's a little creepy. What is it? See what? She's looking up. And it was the, the eclipse of the moon. And we were dead tired. But she said, it's my birthday. And so we got to stand out here with this stranger and appreciate the glory of God and just the majesty of the moon just changing color. And, and so when God makes something, Paul has this confidence and joy that God makes good stuff. You're good stuff. Now, I wasn't good. He didn't have good material to work with when he started with me. He had bad material. He had sin and darkness and rebellion and lust. And, and that's the, that, here's what you got to work with. God says, I do my best work and the messiest stuff. God stepped into my chaos, and he began to bring order and life. So Paul says, what sustains my joy? How do I know that I can still rejoice in these believers 10 years later? Because God's faithful. You'll never ride by a, a construction zone. You ever drove? One of the saddest things, I grew up with a daddy that was a builder, and I've always loved construction. I love just the, every part of it. I love the smells and the noise and the, the laborers, and, and I just construction speaks of, of, of new beginnings, and, and I, I love construction, but nothing's sadder than the ride by a, a, a foundation that's got trees growing out of it, and, and someone started it, but they couldn't finish it. They, they ran out. They, they, it's incompleted. It's, 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 it's started, but it didn't finish. You can never say that about God, that he never starts something, that he doesn't finish the job. Now me, I've got all kinds of projects and thoughts around that, you know, and I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. A lot of us lied about, I think some of you have had stuff sitting in your garage for a lot of years. I'm going to get to that. I mean, maybe you will someday, but God never has a project that he says, I'm going to get to that. I just don't have time. No, he has time. When he begins a good work, the confidence is when he began in 1975, And an 18-year-old, lost, blind, chaotic, angry, selfish heart 
He's continued. That's what Paul says. I'm confident that he that has begun a good work, that good work of forgiveness, that good work of joy. I mean, no one had to tell me, hey, you're a Christian now. You ought to be happy. I mean, I was like Christopher Columbus. I discovered a new world. I started seeing rainbows for the first time and knew what they were. I started reading the Bible and everything in it was just leaping out at me saying, God's amazing. God loves me. God's got great things for my life. And there's this wonderment that we begin with. Now, it can get sideswiped along the way. Look at Paul says, I'm confident that he that's begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Carry it on. Say with me, carry it on. That's a beginning and a continuing. It's not just, wow, I had a great beginning, but I burned out. Now, again, I've watched people over the years. One of the saddest things is you see people have a good beginning. But a good beginning that doesn't continue makes it a, an unhealthy beginning. Something's missing in that beginning if there's not a continuing. The continuing is part of the evidence that there's been a good beginning. That, that doesn't mean there aren't slips and falls. And one of my discouraging things when I gave my life to Christ, I thought, I've arrived. I've, I've, done, I've, I've been forgiven. I've been born again. I'm a new creation in Christ. I, th those were all true things, but I still had flesh. I still had a mind that had to be renewed. It's still, God's not done yet. You think after 47 years, God might be done with me. I maybe could graduate. I'm, I mean, sometimes I'll think, Lord, really? I mean, I find stuff all the time in my life that God shows me how lacking in love I am. He just puts people around me that, that expose that. You know, it's easy to think you're pretty loving when you're around a bunch of nice people. But when you're around idiots that are mean, <laughs> and it's like, you're an idiot and you're mean. I'm going to be mean just like you. And, and it, I just think, and my patience, don't ever pray for patience. But let me help you. He's, he's committed to give you patience. You're going to learn it. Life is filled with opportunities. So don't pray for it. Pray for the mercy of God to not be so hard on you, teaching it too quickly to you. You want to learn it in, in portions. You, you don't want it to come all at one time. And, and life, God's coming. When he started something in you, God says, I've got, a, I've got a plan. I've got blueprints. And this isn't just let's make it up as we go. I've got a destiny. I've got a purpose. I've got something I'm designing you for. And I'm going to keep on with even when you decide, nah, I'm not really into the Bible. I'm not really praying. I'm not really into worship. I'm not when you get or get sidetracked into some ditch of sin that begins to take your life and, and you stop choosing joy. And you get robbed. You get stolen. You become a, a bitter Christian. You become a, a, a Christian that's got all these causes but the right cause. And you see Christians all the time. And I see them in the church. They constantly want to get me to join their cause. And I bless other people's causes. But this church is on a mission to ring that bell, to see people come to Jesus, to see people grow in Jesus, to see people come in community with Jesus, to see people serve the poor, to see people pray for the sick. We're on our own. We have a cause. Now, there's a lot of other causes out there. But that's not what we are called 
to do. We're going to stay in our lane and stay who we are. And we're like Paul. I want to be a pastor of joy because we see God raising up people from where they began 10 years later. They're still continuing. And when they struggle and go by the wayside, they come back. It's, it's just like with your kids. You still love them. You pray for them. You pray for those that have, have wandered from the herd. And you, you pray. You don't give up. Because God doesn't give. He's relentless, as we sang about. He keeps on running after, running after, running after me. Don't you think he'd get weary and go, you know what? I'm just, I'm tired of chasing you around. Can you imagine a parent saying that to a three-year-old? I'm done. I'm done. You're wearing me out. You go up, play on the road. If you want to play on the road, I'm done chasing you around. You chase them. You never stop chasing your kids around, even when they're grown. Now, you do it in a different way. You do it in prayer. You try to keep your mouth shut, but you still chase after them because they're your kids. You don't give up. God's not a God that says, that's it. That's it. I'm done. We're done here. I've given out, that's it, not gonna, I'm not gonna give you that. God has this grace of tenacity that he says, I'm not giving up on you. I give God lots of reasons to give up on me. And, but he is faithful. That, that is the anchor to this verse that why Paul could have joy and knowing even in the process that things aren't where they ought to be, things aren't awry, things are struggling, there's some issues in the church, there's a couple ladies, they're not getting along, leaders that aren't getting along with each other. There's always that in life that is a hindrance. But Paul knew that he had committed them to Jesus. I love, there's a, there's a book uh, called uh, uh, Laugh Again by Charles Swindoll. It's one of his first books that he wrote. He's a great preacher, uh, pastor for years. He's on the radio every day. Uh, but he tells this story, and I thought it was really helpful. Uh, and this, it's a book on uh, kind of a uh, following through the book of Philippians called Laugh Again. He says, I love the story of the man who had fretted for 15 years over his work. He had built his business from nothing into a rather sizable operation. In fact, he had a large plant that covered several acres. With growth and success, however, came an ever-increasing demands. Each new day brought a whole new list of responsibilities. Weary of the worry, the stress, and the fear, he finally decided to give it all over to God. With a smile of quiet contentment, he prayed, Lord God, the business is yours. All the worry, the stress, and the fears I release to you and to your sovereign will. From this day forward, Lord, you own this business. He signed the title over to God. That night, he went to bed earlier than he had since he started the business. Finally, slept with peace. In the middle of the night, a shrill ring in the phone awoke the man. The caller in a panicked voice yelled, fire! The entire place is going up in smoke. The man calmly dressed, got in his car and drove to the plant. With his hands in his pockets, he stood there and watched smiling Slightly. 
One of the employees hurried to his side and said, everything's on fire. The man answered. He said, everything's on fire. How could you be so calm? Why are you smiling? And he said, yesterday afternoon, I gave this business to God. I told him it was his. If he wants to burn it up, that's his business. Some of you can read that and think, that's insane. No, that is one of the greatest pieces of sound theology you can embrace. Firm confidence in God means that it is in his hands. He who started something will bear the pressure of it and bring the results exactly as he planned for his greater glory. How could a business burn to the ground be to the glory of God, you might ask? Well, sometimes the loss of something very significant, perhaps something we're a slave to, is the only way God can get our attention and bring us back to full sanity. The happiest people I know are the ones who have learned how to hold everything loosely and have given the wearisome, stress-filled, fearful details of their lives into God's keeping. Paul says, I'm confident of this. I've got joy. I'm singing. I'm happy because God is in control. He's got this. He started it. He's going to finish it. You know how many times I've had to give this church to God? How many times I've had to give our kids to God? How many times my wife's had to give me to God? She must have been praying for patience when God gave her me. She told me here a while back, Jamie, please don't die anytime soon. I thought, well, it's a tender moment. She said, you are so hard to break in and train. I don't want to do it again to another man. <laughs> there might have been a compliment somewhere in there. I'm not sure. But I, could, I know I couldn't live with me. You ever thought about living with you? What if God's made a clone of you, stuck you in a house, and you had to live with you? Think about it. Think about demanding, selfish Think about your impatience, your pouting. Think about living with you. What a, what a judgment that would be. When I get around anybody that's like me, it torments me. I think, how could they be that way? You know, they remind me a lot of me. And, but you think of the grace. You've got to find, you know why Paul was able to be gracious with people? Because he reminded himself, God's not done yet. They're not finished. You have to do that with your kids all the time. God's not finished with them yet. I got to do that with you. You got to do God's God's still at work. He's got a lot of work to do. God, are you on break here? You can speed up the process a little bit. They're hard to love. You're showing me how much I've got to grow in love. I'd rather you just fix them than I don't have to grow in love. Maybe he wants you to grow in love. Maybe he wants that to burn to the ground, whatever that is, so you could come back to that place. Listen to me. This is such a wisdom nugget that I learned early on in the vineyard from our founder, John Wimber. He would say in the kingdom of God that the way in is the way on. So in other words, how you begin, 
So Paul, if Paul takes these people back 10 years earlier, the first day, how did they begin? They heard the message of Jesus. They realized they couldn't save themselves. The gospel wasn't good advice. It was an announcement that Christ has overcome, and you can make him Lord of your life. You can surrender to Jesus. I came into the kingdom having nothing to offer God but my willingness to say yes to Jesus and receive Christ into my life. Now, fast forward to tape. How do I walk with God today the same way I came in? God, I've got no strength. I've got no wisdom of my own. It doesn't mean I don't participate. It's not passivity. It's not laziness. Paul says it this way. You can hold your finger here. We'll come back in just a second. But in chapter 2 of this book, in verse 13 or 12 of chapter 2, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. No, not work for it. The gospel isn't work hard and God will love you. But the gospel is Jesus has put something in you, put new life. Now you're to grow and to work it out. That's a process. That's carrying on on our part. And then he says, if you think you're all on your own doing it, in verse 13, he says, for it's God who works. That's that good works. God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So it's a partnership. You, you grow by choosing to grow. Attitudes are about choices. Bad choices have to be repented of, or you'll eat the fruits of them, and it'll rob your joy. If you haven't turned things over to God, you can't say, God, that's your business. When We love to try to give something to God after it burns down. It's too late then. I mean, it's not too late, but it's like the damage is done in your heart. You've made an idol out of something, or you, you didn't trust God with something. If whatever it is you're tormented over that's robbing your joy, whatever it is that's stealing from you, and you're letting it take your lunch like a bully, and your joy's being stolen, whatever the anxiety, the fear, the worry, the strife, whatever it is, if you'll simply put it into the hands of God by faith, release it to God, it's yours, Lord. And then remind him, those are your kids, that's your husband, that's your wife, that's your job, that's your bank account. God, I have committed it to you. God starts, God continues. Isn't that good news? It's painful sometimes because when you go astray, he comes and gets you, and it can often be a painful experience of coming back, but that's okay because he loves you to bring you back to keep on working in you. I want to say, Lord, I've gotten far enough in this. I don't need to go any further. And God says, no, no, I'm going to carry on to completion. Now, don't miss this. Go back to verse 6. And the, so there's the before Christ, the coming to Christ, the after, and then the finish. This is the completion. Where are we headed? What's the goal? What is the the, the, the plan of what God intends. Why did he save me to begin with? Why does he tolerate, work with, patiently molding me, putting me back on the potter's wheel, bringing me back to that place of renewed joy, coming back to repentance? What is God after? What is he? he Paul says it in verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work 
in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's not the day of your death. The day of your death is the completion of your life here. But it's not the completion of what God has for you. Now, this is where he brings us all to the same finish line. When Christ returns, we know from the other scriptures, what Paul is alluding to here is that your body that's been buried, God's not done with it yet. He's going to raise that body from the dead and he's going to unite that body with your soul that he's been molding and shaping into his likeness. The Bible says it doesn't appear what we're going to be like, but we know when he appears, we're going to be like Jesus. So we're, what he's after now is molding us like his son, and we're, our completion will be when our body is raised and joins our totally restored, redeemed spirit, and then we are images of God's children. We're in the likeness of Christ. That's the completion. Heaven is a waiting period for the completion of our salvation. And will there be growth going on and work in us? Yeah, I think God's not done when you die. The Bible talks about judgment, of, of testing all of our works. Some are going to be burned up with fire. We're going to suffer loss. Other works will survive his judgment, and we're going to be rewarded. There's accounting coming for our lives, but there's purpose. This life is preparation for the next life. It's not graduation and we're done and we moved into spiritual retirement. That's what people think death is. Well, they've retired, they've graduated to heaven. Now they're waiting with the rest of the saints until the day Christ returns and raises the dead and then brings those that are dead back, join their bodies, and they begins to rule and reign on planet earth that's been remade and the new heavens and the new earth. Why is that important? The importance is that what's happening now has an end in view then. Well, that's why God's so relentless now to make us more like Jesus and not to give up in the process because he's faithful and he's patient and he's kind and, he, and he's relentless. He's tenacious. People forget those qualities of God. He's kind. He's, when he runs after you, he's tenacious. You can't hide from I don't know why we'd ever want to, but he comes and comes and comes in gentle ways, inviting us. How did I come in? The way in was the love of God, the grace of Jesus. My, my, my heart was captured by his love. What's the way on? The love of God captured with Jesus. I came in by the gift of God's grace. I grow with the gift of his grace. But I have to keep giving him my yes. For some of you that have yet to stand publicly, you've got to begin by giving him your yes. Or getting baptized, giving him your yes. But that's not the end. It's like the person that said, I told my wife I loved her when we got married. I don't need to say it again. You don't have a happy marriage. I can just tell you. Oh, yes, I do. No, if you don't tell your wife every day something about her is beautiful, Amen. something about her specific, not just, honey, you're pretty, but, honey, your hair is beautiful, your eyes beautiful. You've got to tell your wife every day. I didn't always do that. And, and you can take your wife for granted, and you can just 
let life just kind of erode your, your, your gratefulness. And God has shown me just the, the joy of the gift that he's given me and to be grateful for it and to compliment her in ways that, that are, are genuine and sincere. And the way in is the way on. You can't come in in your own strength. You come in by a gift, and you can't grow without participating, saying yes to Jesus. I have to give him my yes over and over again. When he's calling on me to be more patient, working with my tongue and my tone, I always thought if I could get my words down, God's like, that's nice. You've got some bad words out. Now let's work on your tone. My tone is worse than my words at times. And I'm like, mm, and my countenance. You know, and and, and I, I, I've had to tell my wife over the years, I regret. And one of the things I had to do over again and with raising our children, I, I would have smiled at them so much more. I think their image of dad probably was much more frowning than it was smiling. And I regret that because we have a God, even though he's working on us, he's smiling while he's working. He's happy. He loves his family. He loves his children. He loves his sons and daughters. I, I've told my wife on several occasions, honey, I'm sorry I didn't smile more at you. I let life rob my joy and let stress get me down. And that's just a, it's just, it, it, it's, it's being robbed is what it is. You go back and get, get what's been stolen from you. Go back and get that joy. That's a gift. You're letting somebody steal. You're letting the news steal it from you. You're letting politics steal it from you. Let fear of COVID steal it from you. You, you. Go get it back. He's still working on you. He's not done. He's not quitting. He's not giving up. And he doesn't make junk. So you're something good. He likes what he sees he's making in you. Now, there's, we tend to focus on all the parts that he's not done with yet. But take some time sometimes and focus on what he has done. And Paul says that gives you joy. Is it in his hands? If it's not, it's going to steal your joy. If it's in his hands, I'm confident that what God starts, he'll sustain and he'll complete. He's got a plan in view. Amen? Let's pray together. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you only do good things. Thank you that when we receive Jesus into our lives, you begin a good work. You begin a new creation in us. Lord, we're not fully formed. We're not arrived. Uh, we've got a long ways to go. But we're confident that you're committed and faithful to see it through that you will not give up on us, you will not be exasperated, you will not be impatient, you're not going to get angry, you're kind and relentless in your pursuit of us becoming all you've called us to be. So, Father, I pray if there's one here today that's not given their yes to you, and they've tried hard or they've had a lot of questions or whatever it is, but they just haven't said, Jesus, take all of me. Lord, I pray that this moment you'll meet them as they whisper their yes. As they whisper their, please forgive me. Thank you that you don't have to be talked into forgiveness, begged into it, 
you've already died on a cross to pay for our sins. You delight in forgiving. So when you ask him, don't think you've got to talk him into it. He's been waiting to say, I forgive you completely. That's a good thing. That's where joy begins when heaviness is lifted. Father, be with those that are saying yes now, but then many of us, Lord, have had our joy stolen. We lack the confidence that what you start, you sustain and you complete. Lord, there's many things we may not have turned over to you, and God, it's in our hands, and we make a mess out of it, but Lord, when we put it in your hands, something beautiful, something good, you're going to make out of what we put in your hands. So, Lord, bless this time of worship. And, Lord, if there's some that need to make a stand for you today, whether they're online, uh, Lord, listening with their head bowed right now, saying yes to you in the privacy of their home, Lord, or, Lord, whether they're seated in here, would you capture them in Jesus' name? Amen.